So what is tolerance? Let's dive right into the dictionary. Tolerance is to accept the difference, I'm sorry, to accept the existence of different views, to recognize other people's right to have different beliefs or practices without an attempt to suppress them. So, as we're going to find here in this message, there's really three things that have to be true for the, to- the word tolerance even to exist. Number one is you have to have a view. You have to have a belief. You have to have something that you stand for. And then secondly, somebody has to have a different belief, a different opinion, and a different way of living that's opposing yours. And then third, you actually have to figure out how to coexist with each other. You got to have a stance that's different than somebody else, and you got to figure out how to exist with each other. Now, what's interesting, <clears throat> that definition of tolerance, in the same dictionary, when they use the word tolerate, they make a shift, very subtle, but listen to this. To tolerate, they say, is the acceptance of differing views of other people, religious or political matters, and fairness toward the people who hold those different views. The slight shift was this. Tolerance is to accept the existence of different views, but now they say to tolerate is the acceptance of differing views. See, so really there's been a shift. And so when you hear the word tolerance today in our culture, the first thing you got to figure out is, well, what do you actually mean? Because if you're saying that I'm actually spo- I can have a view and you can have an opposing view, and then we can figure out how to coexist with each other, that's tolerance. But now what's happening is if you don't accept my view, you're now said to be intolerant. But if I have to accept your view, now it's not even tolerance by definition. <laughs> so another person I read said this, tolerance is treating those who have different op- opinions than your own with respect love and gentleness, not calling those who disagree bigots, idiots, or narrow-minded, because that, in turn, makes you narrow-minded. And this is what we have to be careful of today. And this is important for the church. It isn't tolerance when you want to suppress those who whom have dissenting opinions or convictions. It's hypocrisy, and it's intolerant. But I feel like that's what's happening today, and this is really important for the church. Are we standing strong for what we believe in, but are we also allowing the freedom for other people to believe what they want? And on on flip side, when we stand strong for something that we believe, is the rest of the world actually tolerant of what we believe, or are they saying, if we don't accept it, we're bigots? But as soon as you call someone a bigot, you're a bigot. So we have to be really careful here. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors in New York City, where obviously there's a ton of diversity that he deals with, he says, tolerance is neither indifference, we may be appalled at the other person's views, nor acceptance. It means treating the other person with respect, even if we find their ideas difficult to endure. And that's what we got to figure out how to do. So I just want to tell you, man, if you take notes at all, there's going to be tons of stuff here. I think it's going to be really important for you personally, but also that you can pass on to some friends. Um, and there's going to be a lot in here. First of all, just real quick, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, just write this down. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but it's a situation actually where Paul is dealing with a pretty heinous sin within the church. And so he told the church, he said, hey, don't even associate with this guy. But then he says, but I'm not telling you not to associate with people of the world who don't believe like you or who don't live like you, he goes, in that case, you'd have to leave the world. (laughs) 
Because so I'm not saying, he goes, and then he says this, what business, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Okay, so we need to be careful. And then you take a look at Jesus. And there's a situation where he's trying to help us understand what is this kingdom of God actually like? And he said, well, it's like this. Where a guy goes out to plant, a farmer goes out to plant some seed and it's wheat. But while he's sleeping, his enemy goes out and he plants uh, weeds. So then the wheat and the weeds grow up together. So his workers say, well, man, do you want us to pull out all the weeds? And Jesus says, no. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So again, Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? You're going to have to live together. He had to live together. I've shared this each week in this series. It's beautiful to me that God came in human flesh during the Roman Empire so that Jesus would figure out how do I live in this kingdom of God in the midst of a kingdom that's completely different than mine. And so Jesus, and as, as when I study the Roman Empire, there's no question that he must have abhorred much of what the Roman Empire practiced. But when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he doesn't seem to try and stop them from living out how they're living. What Jesus does is he proclaims a different way, a different kingdom, and he lives in a completely different kingdom than they do. That's what you see. He seems to follow Roman law, right? When they, when they ask him, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? He's like, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. Come on, man, you can live in this, in this world, in a different way. That's what Jesus did. So if we're the church, and we got to figure out how to be the body of Christ, somehow, people who are Christians together, we're supposed to be representing Jesus. So we got to look at him. So the, earlier this year, I was talking to my brother, Mark, and he shared with me, he said, Dave, if I ever write a book, I'm going to call it The Razor's Edge. He said, and this is what it's going to be about. He said, the razor's edge is this beautiful, divine, and it is divine, ability to somehow live in grace and truth. I share this a lot because it's fascinating to me. That when John said, we've seen the glory of God in Christ, when he said, we've seen the glory of the one and only, he says, he is full of grace and truth. Now, here's what's interesting. As human beings, we all slide one way or the other. We just do. Some of us a little bit more grace givers, and some of us a little bit more truth tellers. How many of you would say, and please go ahead, and I want to just see, how many of you would say you slide a little bit more toward the truth sides? How many of you are truth tellers? Okay. Very cool, about half of you. How many of you are the grace givers? You slide over here, and you just want to make peace and make everything, okay? All right. It's about half and half. Here's why Mark said, if you can actually have grace and truth, you will be living on the razor's edge. If you try to love somebody who's in opposition to you, 
If you try to love somebody who actually thinks differently than you, believes something differently, behaves differently than you want to, and you gotta love them, the only way you can do that is in grace and truth. So what we do, because it's, it's super hard to stand for what is true and love the person at the same time. It is hard. So, you guys who are truth tellers, it just, you, you, you can't do it, so you just go, but it's the truth. <laughs> and it just feels better. Because I'm like, I'm standing for what's true, and I just can't love you right now. And all of you guys who are grace givers, you're like, oh my gosh, but I just so want to get along. I, get, I, I don't know if I can handle the truth. And so you slide over here, and you go, oh, let's just all get along. Right? And let's just love each other because standing for what truth hurts too much. And here's what I want to tell you. What Mark told me, he said, David, but if somehow you can stand without moving on what you believe in and love the person who's in absolute opposition to you, that's the glory of God. But he said, you know what? If you do that, you're going to bleed. You're going to suffer. Because when you stand for what's true and still love people, don't, when you don't abandon the relationship, but you stick in there, they are angry at what you believe and It hurts. And when you love somebody so much and you finally have the courage to stand up for what you believe, it hurts. But I want to tell you, man, that is the answer to tolerance. And it's how the church must learn to live when this election happens and beyond. Because there is no question we're going to be living in a world with people who don't believe what we believe and who do things we don't want to do. And somehow, we got to learn how to do it together. All right? So, Jesus, as we unpack this passage, would you touch every truth teller in this room and help them to know how to make sure they do it with grace? And would you touch every grace giver and strengthen them in their heart to be someone who will stand for truth? May you help us walk out of here knowing actually how to love. And may the world see the glory of God as your spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So another unbelievable, beautiful passage today that just unpacks this perfectly. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And again, if you, if you have our app, all the scripture and the notes are right on there, and you can follow through. And we're just going to take this pa passage apart. I think Peter does a phenomenal job helping us to understand how to live in tolerance. Here we go. He says, finally, <clears throat> all of you be like-minded He's talking to Christians here. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. You must turn from evil and do good. You must seek peace and pursue it. 
Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Isn't that an amazing passage? You want to write this one down, man. You need, to, you need to memorize this. You need to get it into your being, put it in your back pocket, and have it ready to go as we learn how to live in a very diverse culture, okay? So, by very definition of being tolerant, the first thing that has to happen if you're going to be a tolerant person is you have to take a stand, <laughs> all right? You've got to take a stand. If you don't take a stand, it's no longer tolerance. Now you've just accepted everything. Ravi Zacharias, one of my absolute favorite apologists. <laughs> He's an amazing guy. Write this guy's name down. Ravi, R-A-V-I, and I'm not even going to spell Zacharias. Figure it out. It'll show up. <laughs> but Google him and listen to him. He's phenomenal at being able to explain truth in a gracious way. Here's what he says. Truth cannot be sacrificed at the altar of pretended tolerance. Real tolerance is deference to all ideas, not indifference to the truth. You got to understand that. Real tolerance is deference to all ideas. It does mean I'm going to respect your, your, what you believe. I'm not, I'm not going to slam you for what you believe, but it is not indifference to the truth. You've got to take a stand. So in 1 Peter 3, he says in verse 15, in your hearts, Christians, you've got to revere Christ as Lord. <laughs> That's what we are. So the Bible says when you received Christ, you received him as Lord. You finally came to the realization, right? That's what we are. We're people who finally realize there really is a God. <laughs> And he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. And when you receive him, you say, you know what? Now you're my God, and I'm going to revere you as Lord. Well, if he's your God, then he is the one who reveals the truth. That's why Jesus said, I am the truth. So if we're Christians, and we're actually going to be tolerant, the first thing that has to happen, you have to revere him as Lord. Nothing else in this world can be more important to you. You cannot get your truth from any other source but the one who actually created the world and who is the truth. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So what Christians are, they're people who have Jesus as our Lord, and we revere him as that, and we have a hope. <laughs> Be prepared, man, to share the hope. The Christians are people who have a hope. And what we've been learning these last few weeks is, and our hope isn't in this world. <laughs> this is the greatest news. Our hope is not in a Democratic Party. Our hope is not in a Republican Party. Our hope is in nothing on this earth. We actually have something beyond this planet that we put our hope in. So the Bible says, eternal life is when you know the one true God and Jesus whom you've sent. You know him. 
So when you're taking a stand, all you're saying is, I review you as God, and now I know you. And so you know what happens when you know God? His ways become your ways. That's what it means to follow Christ. I'm living like Jesus. So whatever he reveals, that's what I'm going to stand for, even if they're not accepted or tolerated. Even if you get called a bigot for what you believe in, you still stand strong because this is what God has revealed and this is who Jesus is. If acceptance of all beliefs is the new tolerance, then that's not, what we're, that's not the game we're going to play. We're actually going to stick with the true definition, which means I have secure beliefs, and I know you have different ones, and we're going to figure out how to exist. By definition, you guys, of true tolerance, we must stand for what we believe in. And then this was very interesting to me. The first verse, he says this, finally, all of you, verse 8, finally, all of you, so he's talking to Christians again, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Now, why, why before he goes into all this, how I deal with people who are outside the church, the first thing he says is, hey, all you guys, <laughs> you better be hanging together and you better be creating a really tight community of love and support. Because if you're going to go out in the world and everything you believe is going to be challenged, I tell you what, man, Hebrew says you better not give up meeting together. <laughs> And you better encourage each other, which means give courage to one another. It means come alongside each other daily, he says. Why? Because you're going to need encouragement, man. We're going to need support. We're going to need reinforcement. We're going to need help in discerning what is really true and what's not. We're going to need checks and balances. Because again, some of you are going to be Christians who slide over on the truth side. And you're going to forget the grace and the love, and it's going to offend people. And you need to be hanging out with other people going, hey, you need to chill. And some of you are going to slide over here, and you're going to just love everybody, and you're never going to stand up and say anything that's true. And so nobody in the world actually gets to know what God is like, and you're going to have to hang out with people, and they're going to go, come on, man, suck it up. You can do this. You guys, I'm telling you, man, as this election comes, and as the world gets more diverse, we are going to need each other. And so Peter starts right off and he says, you better hang out, man, and you better be like-minded. You better be loving each other. You better be compassionate and humble. Be like this, okay? Because you're going to need it. So again, Tim Keller says, tolerance is neither indifference nor acceptance. It means treating the other person with respect even if we find their ideas difficult to endure. If you're going to be tolerant, you have to take a stand. All right? Now, the truth is, some people aren't going to be real excited about that. So, number two, we got to figure out how we're going to coexist. I love this quote from Rick Warren, pastor in California. He says, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you agree with everything they believe or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. That's good. Can I read that again? Because <laughs> you guys got to catch this. 
Our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. That's just not true. But see, that's that new definition of tolerance. If you don't believe what I believe, then you're against me and you hate me. It's like, no, 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 I don't. That's a lie. And the second lie is, if you love someone, that means you have to agree with everything they believe or do. Oh, come on. Anybody a parent in here? Anybody love your kids? Do you believe everything? You know, they just go, hey, whatever you believe, whatever you want to do. No way. See, those just are not lies. Here's what we got to know. You do not have to com compromise your convictions to be compassionate. Okay? We got to figure out this truth and grace thing. So, how do we coexist? I'm going to look at three things. How do we coexist with everybody? How do we coexist with the antagonist? In other words, if somebody really is seething and angry at you how, do you, how do you actually coexist with them? And then third, how do you coexist with somebody who's of a different opinion but actually is tolerant? This is such great stuff. Okay, here we go. How do we coexist with everyone? Romans 12, 18, which by the way, write this down. Romans 12, I think it's 17 through about 25 is another great parallel passage to this one. It's super. Okay, write that one down. Study it later. Romans 12, 18 says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. Hey, if it's possible... As far as it's up to you. Now, you know, and he says that because the truth is to actually live at peace takes both parties. But man, it better be the other party that's causing the problem with peace. If you're a Christian, you need to do everything possible within your power to live at peace with everyone. So in our passage, 1 Peter 3, he says, whoever would love life and see good days, you must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. You've got to turn from evil and do good. You must seek peace. And you've got to pursue it. Okay? Pursuing it doesn't, that, that means right there. You can't just sit back and have peace. You've got to move into our culture and bring peace. So in verse 17, he says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So here's what we got to understand as Christians. Number one, do good. <laughs> Just do good. That's who we are. We're a people that God has transformed and filled with his righteousness, things that are right and they're good. Number two, seek peace and pursue it, and then keep your tongue from evil. <laughs> and I think this is a big one we'll get to here in just a second. Christians, man, what's coming out of here? What's coming out of here? Is it, is it words that actually are pursuing peace? Or are we causing more division in this country by what we say? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Because children of God are children, they're people who are born of his spirit. That's what makes us a child of God. And if you have the spirit of God inside you, you're a peacemaker. Okay? And we're supposed to do that with everybody. Number two. Now, let's talk about it. How do we coexist with an antagonist, with somebody who really opposes you, comes against you? Well, there's two things we're going to look at in this passage. The first one is this. Bless them. You just bless them. This is so great. 
In verse 9, Peter says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this, you were called. Now, who called you to do? Who called you to actually bless? Oh, come on. Who, who called you to bless? Yeah, God does. Or let's say, Jesus did. Come on, we, Jesus is our Lord. We revere him as Lord, and he's the one who says, hey, guys, you want to look like me? Then you have to bless everybody who is evil against you. You have to bless people who actually insult you. Don't you ever repay evil for evil. I don't. Don't you ever give insult when somebody insults you. I don't. And so if your children born of me, you have to understand, you've got to bless them. So basically what, what, what uh, Peter's saying is, don't join their game. <laughs> Christians, man, we don't play this game. We don't get into this hurling stuff back and forth at each other. We just don't. Why? Because in 1 Peter 2, he says this, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Right? Let the wheat and the weeds grow up together, and then in the end, he'll judge everything. It's not your job. Your job is to bless. Now, a couple things are important. That implies, right, if you have somebody who's really coming strong against you, it implies that you're standing strong in what you believe. <laughs> if you're not standing strong, nobody's really ticked off at you. So you got to be able to stand strong. Now, here's what's interesting. You are not, when you stand strong, you are not becoming a friend with the world, but at the same time, you're becoming their friend. When I was thinking about this message, I'm like, okay, how in the world was Jesus called a friend of sinners, and yet you knew he was never a friend of the world, because the Bible says if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy towards God. Well, obviously, Jesus wasn't schizophrenic. <laughs> he wasn't an enemy with himself. So somehow Jesus knew how to not become a friend with the world, but you can be a friend to the person no matter what. And Jesus did that. Come on, church. If we're going to be the light of the world, if we're going to represent who Christ is, we got to figure out how to do this. And you play a completely different game. You repay evil with blessing. Now, do you guys remember? If, 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 in fact, if you weren't here, earlier this year we did a whole series on this. What does it mean to give the blessing? You know what the word blessing means? It means to lift up honor and esteem. <laughs> so what Jesus is saying is this is my way. This is the way of God. Somebody is evil towards you and they insult you and you go, man, I love you. You're all, and you lift them up and you bless them. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is so countercultural. Anybody see this on Fox News? Anybody see this on CNN? Anybody watch the debates? This is definitely the way of Jesus, right? How can you bless people who insult you and maybe are evil towards you? 
So instead, now this is, this is great, instead of immediately defending your position, because that's what we usually want to do, right? We want to defend our position. Ellie Anders, who's here today, she uh, is really involved in the interfaith community, and so I talked with her, and she helped me with some beautiful stuff here. When somebody comes against you, the first thing is not rise up your defenses. <laughs> the first thing is you seek to understand. The first thing you should do when somebody comes against you is ask, start asking questions. Here's a couple great ones she gave me. What has brought you, really, so you believe that so differently, what's brought you to that opinion? What has happened in your experience that brought you to this belief? You guys, when you do that, immediately what's happening is you're not minimalizing that person down to just an issue. You're actually looking to hear their story. You're making them a human being. <laughs> Come on, the reason anybody gets to core beliefs is because of the journey of their life. And I don't know about you, but man, if I'm holding something strong, the last thing I want is somebody just to come right at me. But man, if somebody asks me questions, they actually want to know my story. I'm telling you, this is a huge way that you can bless people who come against you. See them as a human with a journey that got them to that place and not just a person who holds an opinion that's different than yours. All right? So look at this. So that's the first one. Bless people. You just got to do it. That's what Jesus did. Number two is do good. You got to do good. Romans 12, here's that parallel passage. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And then he says, if your enemy... Now, most of these people really aren't our enemies. Maybe you feel like they are. But really, if the person who actually is opposing your view, or maybe in our day, if the, it's the person who unfriended you on Facebook. I'm hearing that's a new popular thing these days. <laughs> is people can't get along. It's like, well, you're not my friend anymore. <laughs> All right. So if they unfriended you, then I guess what you do is you put a friend request back. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what you do, but... <laughs> No, but that person, though, who for whatever reason is really antagonistic with you, what, is, what does Paul say? If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. How's that sound? And then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Guys, we are not going to make this world a better place by continuing to rise up in the fight. We got to do it exactly the opposite. And the only way to do that is by the Spirit of Christ inside of us. Back to our passage, verse 14. Peter says, even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. So don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. Verse 16, he says, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, you're doing good in Christ. They're, they're going to be ashamed of their slander because they're going to go, why am I saying this about this really good person? <laughs> he says, if it's better, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You know, it's interesting when I see that. It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil, apparently we're going to suffer either way. 
We just are. If you live in a very diverse culture, there's going to be suffering. But here's what he's saying. If you do evil, it's going to cause so much more chaos. In other words, remember what he said? What's coming out of your mouth, man? Are you slamming people? Are you judging people? Are you, are you thinking that you're better than everybody else and, and putting them down as a lesser human being? He goes, if you do that, you're causing so much more chaos and dissension and you're giving the other party a reason to come back stronger and more fighting and there's more infliction of pain, right? <laughs> Why are we doing that? Now, the suffering, listen, the suffering you receive for the evil that you do, in other words, if you're not treating people who don't believe what you do with gentleness and respecting, honoring them as human beings, like Jesus has called us to do, what's cool about the suffering that you're getting if you're someone who's always in conflict with people, you can actually do something about that. <laughs> you can stop it. Just stop it. In my notes, I put, stop being a jerk. I think it's okay to say that. <laughs> no, but here's what, I'm, here's what I'm saying. Stop playing the world's game. It's the world's game. It's Satan's game. He is the divisive one. And the wisdom that comes from him is always going to be divisive. But the Spirit of God is a peacemaking spirit, standing strong but treating it differently. Now, here's what's interesting. What did he say? He goes, if you do good to these people, you're going to heap ashes on their head. But here's what's true. You'll heap ashes on their head, but you won't fuel their fire. When you come back with insult because they insulted you, when you come back with evil because they were evil towards you, when you get in the game of hurling stuff back at each other, it just fuels the fire. But he says, but when you do good, ashes get put on their head. You know what's so cool? A guy came up to me after first service and he said, you know what's so cool about ashes, Dave? He goes, they can't burn. There's nothing left in them. You actually quench the fire. You stop it. When I studied, what people were saying is if you put ashes on your head, it was always a sign of like shame. It was always a sign that you've realized, wow, the behavior I've been doing is wrong and you actually want to change your behavior. You know what he's saying? Is if somebody's coming antagonistically towards you and in response you bless them, you have a chance to help them want to change their behavior. You can actually lead them to repentance. You know what the Bible says? You know what leads us to repentance? It's God's what? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Come on, you guys. You have and I have a chance to bring peace into this world if we'll stand strong for what we believe. But if we do it with grace, it is the glory of God. And the other thing I just want to say real quick on this, the other thing that will happen is you, I believe you, will be at greater peace too. You know why? Because your conscience will be clear. Who doesn't like a clear conscience? You know what's horrible is when you're just grace, 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 and you never can stand for the truth, you don't have a clear conscience because you know. It's like, man, I'm not standing up for what's right. And then you feel guilty about it. And if you're someone over here, you stand for truth, but you know, man, you're just, you're being an idiot, and you're hurting people's feelings. It's like you don't have a good conscience, but you know what? When you stand in Christ and you don't budge and you love every person no matter what, 
you can go to bed at night, put your head on your pillow with a clear conscience, and you can be at peace. That's how we coexist with people who are against us. You bless them, and you do good. Okay? Let's last one here. How do you coexist with someone who is actually tolerant? In 1 Peter 3.15, this is such a great verse. He says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You know what's cool? There are people out there who totally disagree with you. <laughs> and yet, they're actually tolerant by the true definition. They don't agree with you, but they actually want to coexist with you. And it's so cool, they might actually come to a point where they want to ask you, like, okay, so tell me why. See, here's what's interesting. If there is a verse that supports true tolerance, tolerance, it's here. <laughs> Differing views, gentleness, and respect. And here's what I want to tell you. If you bless people and you do good to them, you have a way better chance of having this happen. <laughs> and I know that's true. Bless people and do good to them, and they'll actually want to have conversation with you. <laughs> they might actually want to ask you questions. If you're doing evil and if you're combative, are they going to want to talk to you? They aren't interested in all of what you've got. All right? So, the first thing he says is, how do we coexist with the tolerant? You got to be prepared. You got to be prepared. You got to know what it is that you believe and why you believe it. That's why being in church on a regular basis is so important. That's why getting into Life Together groups here is so important. You have to be getting the truth inside of you so that you can be prepared to actually give an answer for somebody. In fact, I have this little, I keep this thing on my computer. It's called series ideas. And whenever an idea actually pops into my head, I, I write it down as, oh, that could be a good series someday. And just this morning, I thought I'd put on there, we need to do a series just called Be Prepared. <laughs> And we just need to do a good job of equipping every one of us in here to know how to give a really good answer when somebody actually asks us, why do you believe some of these key things? And so be looking for that in the near future, all right? So first, you've got to be prepared. And then secondly, you have to do it with gentleness and respect. This is something else Ellie shared with me. So what you want to do, you guys, is find places of agreement. I I'm serious. You can always, almost always find some place of agreement with the people that you disagree with. And so what, what, in this book that Ellie gave me, I was, I was reading through it, and it says, so don't just focus on the difference. Again, as soon as we have a difference, it's like that's the one thing that we're going to talk about. And so it's basically like that's the elephant in the room, and we both got our knives, and we're ready to carve that puppy up, and we're going to talk about it. But if you don't do that, if you don't defensive immediately and instead look for what you can actually agree with with other people, people might actually ask you, why are you not talking about the elephant in the room? And I love the answer in the book. It said, because there's other animals in the zoo. <laughs> find the other animals in the zoo. There are things where you can find camaraderie. There are things where you can find, wow, we actually believe in that. And then when you join with somebody and you talk about those things, sure, maybe they come at it from a different purpose, but it helps you to have a chance to be human and to be godly and to love, to care with gentleness and respect. What you can you affirm and what could you do together? So there you go. I want to tell you guys, there's no question. It's happening right now. My sense... I'm no prophet, but my sense is just going to intensify after this election. <laughs> we are going to live with so much diversity. 
You're surrounded by it at your workplace, on your streets, probably in your family, and apparently even in your friendships. How in the world can we be tolerant? We got to take a stand and not budge. We got to believe that Jesus really is Lord and that his way is life. And then we got to learn how to coexist. We got to bless and we got to do good. And we've got to be prepared to share. And we got to do it with gentleness and respect.